We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. This episode is brought to you by our partners, betonline.ag. On today's podcast, we're going to get into more college prospect discussion, but we're going to focus on players that may drop to the second round. We're kind of focusing on those players that could be there. Uh, They may go before, but definitely players that will not be someone we're going to be considering with the eighth overall pick. Brian Spencer, how is everything going with you guys? Uh, Yeah, going good. Going good. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just to the point where like I get on these Zoom calls and or work calls on the phone and people are like, so how's it going? I'm like, every time I'm just like, yeah, good, good. Just adjusting to the new reality. I feel like I've said that like 50 times in a row now. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It is amazing how quickly like uh, you can fall into these new habits. You know what I mean? It, it is. It's it's like good and bad the the human condition in that regard i I suppose the thing that i'm getting i'm starting to getting annoyed annoyed at a little bit is um like uh the need to say at the top of you know every article i write or every article i read the the need to either mention it myself or see mentioned like assuming sports comes back here's what's going to happen or the feeling the need to, to preface everything with uh Okay, but you know, we realize this sports related thing isn't that important. And it's true. I just wish there was already that understanding so I didn't have to everything didn't have to be prefaced with this layer of we like we understand that things are bad, right? You know what yeah, I mean? Right. And it's like it, everyone is aware of this at all times. Um so I don't know. I find myself like becoming annoyed that I need to like constantly uh state the obvious, but uh, I suppose it's I mean of all the things in the world, it's not the worst, but it's just like a little, little, little annoying. I feel like I, I, I do want to, you know, in our what we podcast about in our sport, sports driven world, um, I do want to give a shout out to the NBA or excuse me, the NFL. I thought they did a nice job with the draft. Yeah, uh, it certainly had some hiccups and some, and I don't, I'm not quite sure about some of the strategy on the content, but look, overall, like Trey Wingo and that team did a great job, and yeah. I cannot overemphasize how excited I was at noon on Saturday to realize like, Oh, I, I can cut on something that's like sports related and it's live <laughs> like yeah. right now. I, I mean, the first round was nice. Yeah. Friday night, second round, third round. That was great. Uh, but Saturday at noon, realizing there were sports on TV or, or something of the, sem- of the semblance was uh, was pretty awesome. It was nice, yeah. I didn't watch much beyond the, uh, the first round. It was sort of like, I mean, I was keeping up with it, but didn't now that you've mentioned that man it sounds kind of nice to just be like 
on the couch watching that on Saturday. I'm kind of mad I missed out on that, actually. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. Like, I, I actually just threw on YouTube TV doing some stuff outside. It was just the idea that there, there was yeah. something sports-related live on at noon on a week, you know, on a weekend day. It was yeah. just like, it just felt normal. I don't know. Yeah. You know, NBA kind of learning from the NFL and how they did their draft. I think NFL has it harder because they have seven rounds. So you got more opportunity for mess ups and things of that nature. But I thought overall they did a good job. And like you, Brian, I only watched fully intently uh, the first round. The other rounds were just kind of on in the background. So let's go ahead and jump into this with these prospects that are probably late first round, early second round. And actually, Spencer, we're going to lead off with the one that you chose to start this episode with, with Precious Achua. I believe you guys have talked about him before, but let's go ahead and talk about him again. Freshman out of Memphis. So go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, Precious Achua. Um, he's a 6'9", pull over 220. Um, I guess you call him a power forward. I mean, I think this guy's going to be able to play a lot of different positions. Um, you know, he's he's 20 years old. He'll be closing in on 21 um, at draft age. Of course, again, can't emphasize enough. We don't know when that draft is going to be. But I, I first dove in on this guy, like really digging deep, um, scouting him a few weeks back. When it was probably about three weeks ago. And I saw him play some this season. You know, James Wiseman obviously didn't play very – uh, much in Memphis this year. So Precious became, you know, the w- number one scouted player on that Memphis team pretty quickly when James, uh, you know, went through his troubles. And the one game I really watched was the Tennessee game. But other than that, I really hadn't seen enough about him. I just knew he was, a, a, you know, a highly regarded prospect and a very highly regarded high school player. Um, you know, <clears throat> the first thing that I would say about Precious is that he has the ability defensively to to be that do it all type of switch off every position jump passing lanes blow up ball screens block shots at the rim just cover sideline to sideline in in half court to the baseline i mean he he has that kind of defensive coverage potential he doesn't always choose to show that with his motor and his effort but this guy's ceiling defensively we, we can debate other prospects in this draft pool. You can't convince me anybody's is higher than his. You really can't. I mean, he can just cover so much ground. And, and, and so that's what I would start with. But the reality of Precious is, is that he is a low IQ basketball player right now. And he played on the wing in high school. He had the ball in his hands a lot. You know, you, you saw these moments, especially after Wiseman, you know, went out of the lineup where – Precious has got the ball on the wing. You know, he takes one or two dribbles into the paint and he, he'll drive it into, into three bodies. Yes. He doesn't care, you know, and he, and he rarely gets his teammates involved. But when he does get that one or two dribbles free to the rim, he's an explosive athlete. They can finish and just type into YouTube, Precious Achua uh, transition. I mean, this guy is a an absolute monster in transition. The idea of him, the pie in the sky idea, I always get trapped by one of these guys every year, and he's going to be the one this year, is is high, high, high ceiling. I mean, his athleticism and body type kind of reminds me a little bit of Pascal Siakam. He's obviously not anywhere close to as polished as Siakam was coming out of college, and he, he will never be that polished of a player. But I do see him as a small ball five potentially in the league that could, that could come in and, and wreak havoc just with his energy. Um, and he, if he puts it together offensively with the shot, um, and I'm sure you guys will have some numbers here in a little bit. I mean, he didn't shoot it great last year, showed a little bit of promise there. But if he can be a threat from the corners um, and, and buy into the idea of being a small ball rim runner, I think he can really be a super impactful player in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's where he does thrive is on rim running. And I kind of project him out to be a center, like you said, a small ball center more so than a four. Very good in the pick and roll. Basically, you get him running towards the rim and you don't you just put him in pick and roll situations. The less he has to think, the better he does. So you, you put the ball in his hands a little bit more often and he has to think through things. Like Spencer was saying, he'll drive in traffic when there's three guys on him. Defensively, right away on the NBA level, I feel like his versatility, his wingspan, 7'2 wingspan is going to be able to bother guards 
out on the perimeter, and he, he can stay with guards. Like We've seen that from him. His footwork is pretty good on that. And then either wings or bigs that are going to take it to him uh, into the body, he still has that wingspan to, to block him. Uh, so, yeah, offensively, he's very, very, I guess, unskilled or very raw. I think teams that are going to be drafting this guy are banking on the fact that he will develop a shot. He will develop that handle a little bit more and his finishing around the rim. So right now, all you can kind of point to is him thriving in transition and thriving as a pick-and-roll threat. I will say that he does time the offensive rebounds pretty well. He's not afraid to get physical uh, down low. It's just he lacks body control, like especially when you put other opponents around him. He doesn't know how to tone it down. We talk about this a lot with a shot. You know, the free throw shooting sometimes translates over to maybe something from behind the arc. And he only shot the ball from the free throw line at 59.9%. So that is one area of concern that, you know, it doesn't directly translate. But if if you're hoping that he develops a shot, uh, that free throw percentage is not something that I'd be looking at right now. His handle's interesting because he's, I feel like that, if you're going to get to his ceiling as a player, you need to fix the footwork on his jump shot and, you know, obviously turn him into a, a better spot up threat. I mean, he's pretty good on a straight line now, but the handle's wild. There's certainly grab and go potential and he shot the ball pretty well in transition, pretty healthy. I mean, I think over 60% in transition this year. So there's some, there's some interesting potential with him as like an end to end guy and someone who can attack space off the dribble or, 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 or go at players right now. It's, it's not there, but it th- doesn't mean it couldn't develop. He is, I feel like in, in Spencer was sort of getting at this with some of the defensive talk with, with precious is uh, like with him though, you really do need to start with his versatility defensively. He's the most obvious sort of like one through five defender in the draft this year and he played a lot of five at memphis once wiseman uh was ineligible um and that forced him into a, a more challenging role offensively which probably didn't help his overall uh advanced numbers on offense right which aren't too good right like he is not he's not have, he's not have great uh advanced numbers in, in aspects of his uh his offensive game um in part because the shot wasn't great either I watched the rewatched the NC State Memphis game from Thanksgiving again recently, and uh, he did pretty well switching on in on that game. Some nice possessions on CJ Bryce and in Markel Johnson, and and those guys like Markel and CJ are, are really good, really good ACC guards. And Markel got him once with a little bit of a shoulder fake, and, and Precious was a little a little jumpy on it. But uh, other than that, he did pretty well. He's a nice team defender. I think that is one of those things you have to you have to mention with him is because, yes, he has the ability to switch out and guard a bunch of positions, but, you know, tag a roller, get back out, close out on a shooter. Like, he checks those boxes, which that's – Yeah, he covers, he covers a lot of space. Yeah, exactly. So that, that gives him, like, kind of a nice floor defensively. And then – all of a sudden, if you can really unlock some of the the switch potential where you can move out and guard four or five positions, you know, now you're really talking about something, especially if you can turn something on offensively too. Um, you know, he's a development piece, obviously. It's gonna take it's gonna take time. It it may take a year, it may take a couple years. Yeah, I do think the Hornets are in an just in a vacuum. The Hornets are in an okay position to absorb a player like that into the roster, right? Like they've they have they've invested a lot of resources in player development uh the last year or so and they're not going to be good this season you know like they had they they have resources and and time on their hands and and so yeah like he in theory i think precious you could he could fit into that uh that structure but yeah it's it's just going to take some time to to unlock or maybe even maybe even like break ground uh making this guy like you know uh, anything any kind of a functional offensive piece but defensively yeah it's it's really he's an interesting player for sure you know i think that i for what it's worth i think that eight is too high for him i mean espn mock draft that's where we you know we saw him follow the hornets and a lot of people were like excuse me i don't don't even know who this guy is yeah and so i think that was a fair reaction um we've seen him on some mock drafts tankathons he's at 32 uh so Mm -hmm. you know it's pretty easy to see and and if you've listened to all three of us describe him now it's pretty easy to see why he's such a volatile prospect yeah Um, i mean the idea of him is is grand 
And, you know, you imagine him being defensively, if it all comes together, almost like a Draymond Green type of player, except he's six nine, <laughs> right? Right. And, and then his ability to grab it off the glass and put it on the floor and make plays in transition, that is what gets me over everything else. 25% defensive rebound rate, too. It's just a monster number. You know, it's just when he goes up and he snatches the rebound and he immediately puts it on the floor – you know, th- this guy is, he's leading the break <laughs> at, at six, nine. Um, and his quickness and his straight line speed, it, it, it kind of like we talked about with, with Kyra Lewis, it's uh, in different ways, track athlete kind of speed. But if you watch his acceleration, like when he doesn't have the ball in transition, you'll see him read the guy who might be on the wing with the ball, the guy half court. If he sees a lane to sprint, he can change speeds so quickly for an athlete of that size. And, and I see that kind of stuff. And that's where I'm like, man, if you just – Make him play in the half court in a gym for six months and don't let him leave. All this stuff in transition, that's natural ability. That's not going anywhere. He can do that in his sleep. Make him play in the half court nonstop. Make him, you know, do your best to develop his feel for the game and then let him use all his shot blocking, his speed, uh, his quick feet. Let all that melt into the feel of the game. I, the idea of, I, I just think he's a little bit of a sleeper. I know we've seen him as, as high as eight, but I, I really don't mind this guy going in the lottery, uh, late lottery. I think he's got that much upside. She shot 65% on basket rolls this season, which is a pretty good number. Not a not a huge sample, but there, as you guys said earlier, there is some pick and roll, maybe even some some pick and pop potential. Again, that's assuming he gets down the, the handle, and the ability to shoot off the catch and a, and a little bit of movement. I mean, that's that that may be way further down the road, but it, it exists. I think um, most of his shots around the basket this season um, shot sixty four percent at the rim. About sixty two percent of those looks were assisted on. So that's kind of a lot. The the looks though, he I think he had a questionable shot selection, and it's one of those things. It's like if any if any of these guys play enough minutes and you watch them play enough, you're going to see these guys take some tough shots. But he took, I mean, some brutal mid range and long twos this season. Um, just like just like no clue. Yeah, and uh, on close to 100 attempts, he shot 21 percent in the mid range this season, um, which is uh, again a brutal number for what was a pretty high usage player. Usage rate north of of 27 percent, which is which is steep. So um, can't really pass yet. Can't make a free throw. Jumper is is sort of broken. Like you, you just with this guy, you'd have to be so incredibly patient in terms of. Uh, monitoring and helping aid his development hey let's take a break real quick and then we'll get back and finish up on achua with currently no nba nhl or mlb you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to poker to blackjack they're bringing vegas to you missing the nfl no problem Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Go to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't even need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, let's head back to Precious and wrap him up. I do have a question for you guys in terms of maybe not just Precious, but just any prospect in general, because this guy is clearly raw, a raw talent, and that's why there's so much variance in where he could go in the NBA draft. I think 
developing a shot could be something that the teams are going to want to focus on. But how hard do you think it is to develop IQ? Like he, because a lot of times when you watch him play, it's almost like he doesn't realize that he's surrounded by multiple defenders and he's got an open guy in the corner. To me, I feel like developing his actual skills could be easier than maybe developing his feel for the game. So have you ever thought about that in terms of like how you oh, develop the, the IQ? Yeah. All yeah. the time. I mean, we talked about this with Nasir Little last year, right? Yeah. About a year ago. Um, and, and you want to be, and, and I, I know what you guys, I know what you guys mean. But we even said this when we talked about Nasir Little last year. It's not. This isn't like a like a like an actual like an IQ thing, right? This is like a, a feel thing. This is a basketball skill thing. Like, listen to Precious talk. He, he's a smart young dude. But like, um, I think it's just you just got to play basketball you have to play a lot of basketball there's got to be other ways for you to um to to learn you know that the playing pickup watching film we even talked about this with this year little again last year too but like is there any sort of like ai simulation that you, that you can put on and just go through pick and roll reps or you know uh short roll reps over and over again like there there should be no outer limits to what these guys can do as far as like watching tape and getting reps and trying to apply it um but i think that's the main thing is is it, it's hard work it's playing games it's playing pickup and it's watching a lot of film um and i think all of that skill stuff starts with the fundamentals and then you build out from there though yeah yeah i mean i, I agree with most of that i, I think that it, it's mentality right like it goes back to the patrick williams conversation we were having last week i mean if the kid's got it and wants to get better, he's going to get better, period. It's going to happen. I mean, that, that's what it usually comes down to. I, I think with Precious, I think a few things are interesting. I think he played on the wing in high school. He came from a high school. He was able and allowed to do whatever he wanted in high school. So he had the ball in his hands a lot. He, I mean, it probably didn't look a whole lot prettier in high school. He was just going against inferior athletes, <laughs> right? And people recognized his athleticism. So they're like, this is a great – this is a really highly re regarded high school player. You get him in college where, number one, he's playing against better competition, more athletic competition, more physical competition, and they change his position and ask him to play center, a, a position he's really never played his entire career. And he's it, it's like having to learn the, to ride the bike again. I mean, this kid had no freaking clue how to play center. And so, I, I, you know, I look at some of his numbers and I say, yeah, okay, um, I'm willing to give this a little bit of a pass because I think he's still learning there. To me, the downside of Precious is a rotational energy spark plug, right? It comes in, guards a bunch of different positions, runs hard in transition, just puts pressure on both sides of the floor. But the upside is if he does create a, a real feel for the game, you know, learns how to kill his dribble when he needs to, get onto the next play, keep moving, keep screening, keep diving. If he, if he learns how to do those things, he's going to be – uh, potentially starting power forward, you know, they can score, I think, 12 to 15 points a night. I mean, I think the ceiling's that high. So for me, it's the same thing as, as the Patrick Williams thing. It's like, what is his mentality? Does he, does he want to really sharpen the knife and get better as a player? The difference between him and, and Patrick Williams to me is Patrick Williams has shown a little bit of a shot. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball too well from behind the arc, but just his mid-range shot. We talked about this last week. Not, I'm not comparing him to this guy at all, but I, I just kind of get these like vibes of again, not not totally one to one here, but like something like a Bismack Biombo, where you see all this rawness of of a player, and you just got to develop a lot of skill and. I like this guy as an athlete. I like this guy in terms on the defensive side, being able to switch out on guards and stuff like that. And his block rate is really high. But there's just something about him that I'm just a little bit hesitant on. And let's just say we trade back. I'm going to pose this question. Let's say we trade back to number 20. And I think, Spencer, I, I know this answer for you. But let's say we're at 20 and he's available. Do you draft him? Hmm. Um, I lean I'm towards more no. open to the possibility I haven't done quite a big board yet. I'm not sure if I would have Precious in my top 20 prospects. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I could find a player that I was more comfortable selecting. And this is maybe a bit of a cop-out answer. But I'm certainly more open to the possibility of taking him at 20 as opposed to inside the top 10 or inside the lottery. Mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, assuming if, you know, if you're moving back, you're, you're picking up other 
assets and draft capital too. So uh, yes, that would make me, uh, that would open the possibility, but I still think I could probably, I, I still think I could buy more value actually with the, um, with the number 20, with another possibility of the number 20 pick over precious. Yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with what Brian just said. I mean, there's, there's probably still a lot of good value, better value out there at, at 20. What does it for me is it's, the Bismack Biombo comparison came up, Richie. You know, I think from a rawness, true rawness perspective, that's very fair. You know, you just this kid's feet and his hips and his flexibility and his athleticism. It's just it's thinking about a guy like Biz. It's just it's miles, miles beyond him. So I, I just think that there's less to chip away here to have a real finished product. It's he's kind of hiding in the grass to me. There's there's so so much potential with this kid so obviously i would take him at 20. all right let's transition to the prospect that i'm going to present uh someone who is probably have a i would say a higher floor if all things go right but his ceiling is definitely not at the ceiling of precious so i'm going to go with killian tilly senior out of gonzaga 610 220 pounds and he's also 22 years old i think the biggest thing that we need to kind of put out there is his injury history freshman year he had a broken finger his sophomore year he had a hip injury in the ncaa tournament his junior year he had a ankle stress fracture he missed the first eight weeks of the season he actually declared for the nba draft uh, after his junior year but during the nba combine uh, he missed it because of injury so then he returned for his senior season and he missed the first four games of that season to quote unquote clean up his knee so the injury history here is, is clearly uh visible and if you are drafting him i think his role on any NBA team is going to probably come down to his health. If he can stay healthy, everything that we're going to talk about today uh, is clearly going to be present. Uh, but if he can't stay healthy, uh, it's just probably going to be more of the same with Killian Tilly. So I'm going to kind of start with his, his positives here. I, I think he's a big that can shoot the ball. He's a stretchy big, a factor in the pick and pop game. He doesn't necessarily like get off the floor as an athlete, uh, but you know he still has some mobility. I'm sure the injury status probably affects that a little bit. I almost view him, in a way, if he can stay healthy, as a little bit less athletic Cody Zeller who can shoot the ball. I, I see him as a ball mover. I see him as a screen setter. He does have handles. He has, he has pretty solid handles for a big. He can maneuver in traffic, unlike Precious, who doesn't really realize the players that are around him. So uh, Killian Tilly, I'm intrigued by him. I think I would be open to drafting him in the second overall pick in the second round. But the biggest thing that it's going to come down to is one, his injury history, but then on the defensive side of the ball, this is something that he is totally unlike Precious. Can he can he defend in space, uh, or he, is he just going to be one of those drop defenders that we normally see? Uh, I like Killian Tilly a lot, but I think the injury kind of scares me off a bit. I, I like Killian Tilly uh, a great deal. The injuries are obviously scary, and they're the only reason this guy isn't in the NBA right now. And because he he really does have like the skill set that is good enough to be to, to project as a lottery pick, right? But just because of the injuries, he's missed he missed close to forty games during his career at Gonzaga wow. uh, with a variety of injuries. I think it's I think I counted it up last night. It was thirty eight um, thirty eight games he missed while at Gonzaga of the possible games he could have played in. He's twenty. He turned twenty two in March. Born actually one day after Obi Toppin, which is kind of funny. Um, but he is just a monster shooter from the stretch. You know, stretch five position. Forty four percent career shooting on threes. Uh, almost two hundred and forty attempts. Sixty percent shooting on twos. Seventy five percent shooting from the free throw line. Doesn't get to the line a ton, but still seventy five percent shooting from the line. On close to 200 career attempts, 62% effective shooting, 64% uh, career true shooting percentage. This season, he shot 72% at the rim, 50% on long twos. And in the 2017-2018 season, which is like, I mean, he was really good this year, but his sophomore year may have been uh, his, his best year. But uh, 1.25 points per possession on spot-ups that year, 72% effective shooting. Just a monster number for a 6'10 guy that can that can move. And he can. Like, he, he has some movement shooting skills, you know, roll replace actions, his ability to pop, slip into space. He was an elite pick-and-pop player in college um, for his career. 
1.26 points per possession on pick and pops this season, 64% effective shooting on pick and pop jumpers. Um, that was top, that was top 10 in division one in pick and pop efficiency. And during his sophomore season in 17, 18, uh, 52% shooting, on pick and pop, 69% effective shooting too. Like he's got short roll skills, um, decent pass, not like an amazing passer, but he's got some some craft. He can put the ball on the deck in the open court. Mm-hmm. He can attack a closeout, which he you have to. He just, he's going to force closeouts with his shot. I mean, he's going to. He's a very good three point shooter. Has great range. Shoots an easy ball. Even has like a little crossover he can get to, which like looks crazy because he's. He's mobile, but not like a super, you know, fluid athlete or anything like that. But I think there's really, I think there's serious DHO potential. This guy's ability to help with him, with his ability to stretch the defense, run, pick and pop. He can get the ball from side A to side B and back um, as a, as a facilitator. And just a guy that can help you change the shot sides of the floor while also stretching out the defense. I think that's a really, a really, really good athlete. Um, Grew up. A volleyball player, so quick off his feet. Maybe not like super explosive, you know, but quick off his feet. Really good touch. I mean, you can see on some of his offensive rebound tip backs, like his ability to just just slap at it and just paw it right into the rim. Pretty and pretty impressive, actually. And he moved well in Gonzaga's uh, continuity ball screen offense, like constantly screening, diving, popping, posting, like just has a lot of versatility to his offensive game. I I love Killian Tilly as a prospect. And I think it would be great for the Hornets to get a young center in the pipeline. If you could use this early second round pick to get Tilly or Paul Reed. I mean, that's, I think you're getting really good value out of that pick. And again, I, I get the injury risks with Tilly, but um, man, he's, he's a, he's a really gifted offensive player, 6'10", coming out of a program that every year they just spit out more awesome front court prospects. Yeah. I mean, Tilly's, he's the best offensive big in this draft probably. Right. I mean, from a shooting shooting standpoint, you know, I mean, he's as a pick and pop player, he's just, he's an ace. Um, you know, 1.3 points per possession (laughs) on pick and pop plays. Uh, I mean, that's, it doesn't get any better than that. So I, I, Mm -hmm. I think that it, if you don't like Tilly as a prospect and you probably haven't watched him play very much, um, you know, he comes to the table, with something that you can't miss on just shooting ability as a big man. And as Brian mentioned too, who he's going to force closeouts and he's proven that he can beat a closeout. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good feet, pretty good uh, passing instincts, great feel for the game and IQ. I think that's pretty much a unanimous trait of his. Yep. Um, so uh, there's not much to miss on here unless the medical history really bites mm-hmm. you. Um, and and yep. so everybody's already said that he is older. I mean, he's going to be, He's going to be close to 23 years old, um, or at least 22 and a half, excuse me, mm-hmm. probably when the draft happens. So that that certainly isn't a plus. But at the, at the same time, man, when you're getting a player that's going to bring you immediate value like like Killian Tilly, who I think should be able to step into the NBA year one and play backup center minutes, you know, then, then I think you go ahead and draft him, especially if you're talking about a second round um type of pick i wouldn't be surprised to see him making the first round though i mean i don't think he will because of his age and his his medical history but he's you're getting enough return for investment here i think right away to make it worth it you know in that late first round stage especially for a team that's already you're you're imagining he's going to be in the playoffs right so you know the last thing i would say about tilly is I, i think there's a chance Again, he's got to stay healthy. I think there's a chance he's what Frank Kaminsky, the idea of what yes. was supposed to be. One hundred percent. I've got yeah. that in my notes. He's got he's yeah. got the the Kaminsky like the the good parts of what you saw with Kaminsky at Wisconsin in his game too. It's the pick and pop potential, the ability to stretch a defense, pass, post up mismatches, and help switch sides of the floor. That yes, in theory, that's what you wanted with with Frank too. We just said this, but I think if you take out the injury history, he's definitely a first round pick. Oh, and, easily. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's the really the biggest thing that's kind of hanging me up on him. And it's not like it's like, you know, one season where he had injuries. It was basically every season that I mentioned, uh, he yeah. had some kind of injury. 
And, uh, you know, it just happens that way with some players where they're just unlucky. You know, I, I mentioned Cody Zeller as well. He's been unlucky in his NBA career, not really having full season. So, but the good news is if you do draft this guy in the second round, I feel a little bit better about drafting someone like this that has an injury history. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And uh, I think Hornets fans are used to, you know, second round picks being traded anyways. I think if you can get this guy, I mean, if you can, if you get Tilly late in the first round, I think that's a, a really good pick too. But I mean, if the Hornets lucked up and got this guy early second round, you sign him on one of those cheapo second round deals, three years, you get his bird rights. I mean, that's just, it's a slam dunk in my opinion. He has, like you said, Spencer, he reminds me of Kaminsky a fair amount. I, I think it's, you really probably shouldn't compare guys to Mark Gasol. But I think maybe it's because of the high socks and the 33 and his ability to handle a little bit and pick and pop either. Again, I, I don't want to compare him to Gasol too much, but you, sometimes when you watch him play, you get those, he's not, obviously he's nowhere near as big and burly as Gasol and Gasol's like, you know, a, a for the modern game, a historically good defensive center. So I'm not trying to like draw a line between those two, just some, he reminds me at times of Kaminsky he reminds me of times of, of, of Gasol in, the, in these very like specific ways, and he is a good he's a good post up player too. All, uh, got like a nice righty hook shot when he can drop that left shoulder. You know what I mean? Spin to the baseline, spin on that left foot. He kind of reminds you of PJ Washington a little bit. You know, PJ loves that sort of especially when he's at Kentucky. But we saw it this year too, where PJ gets it on the right block and he's able to spin spin towards the baseline and get to that righty hook. Like that's. That's Tilly's go-to move inside inside the arc. Um, you know, you can counter that by spinning to the to the paint and shooting a fadeaway. Or, uh, just seven dunks this season, and only forty-six for his career. But his sophomore season, he had twenty-two dunks. Um, his sophomore year also had a, a block rate above four percent. So yeah, maybe some of the injuries did take away some of the athletic pop, like the vertical pop that he had. Um, but obviously he still move, you know, he still moves well. He's still fluid, just maybe perhaps vertically not quite as explosive. And he shot 58% on post-ups this season, over 1.1 points per possession, which is obviously a healthy number on decent volume too. Brian, before we get to your prospect, I mean, where do you guys think that this guy ranks among Killians in this draft? <laughs> He's in the top three at least. Yeah, right? I, I He's would. Gotta be. Yeah, I would say so too. So <laughs> he, he's not the best Killian in this draft. Yeah, he's not. Uh, no, he's good though. He's quite good. All right, go ahead, Brian. Uh, yeah. Should we go ahead and flip over to uh, Trey Jones here? Do you guys guys have any last thoughts on on Tilly? No. Go ahead uh, and go to. Let's all right. Okay. Here we go. Trey Jones. Um, yeah, this is a guy I saw a lot of at Duke. Uh, I watched every game he played in. I the saw him probably up close, close to 25, 30 times. Most of the home games he played at, if not all the home games he played at while at Duke. Um, he's listed at 6'3". I, I don't think Trey Jones is, is 6'3". Just like Cole Anthony's listed at 6'3". I, <laughs> I've seen those guys. I've stood next to those guys. I don't think they're 6'3". Um, You're saying they're smaller. Six, what? You're saying they're smaller. Uh, yes, I'm saying <laughs> I, I bet Trey Jones is like, you know, six, one and a half or six, two bat best. You know what I mean? Like he's somewhere in that range. <laughs> um, 190 pounds. He turned 20 in January. He'll turn 21. Uh, so he'll turn 21 next January, but he's young, pretty young for a sophomore already has over 2,300, you know, close to 2,300 minutes in college under his belt. 1,300 of those coming in the ACC. Um, some intangibles, just a winner. Uh, 53 and 12 during his college career, plus an ACC title, just a quiet leader. Um, guys will like his teammates would run through a wall for this guy. Um, and I think that matters. Coaches loved coaching him I, as much as, as Krzyzewski enjoyed coaching Zion in, in RJ last season. I think Trey was like his favorite player of the, of the last two seasons, just adored Trey. Um, and he sort of is every coach's dream because, He's a smart, smart point guard, and he's an absolute dog uh, defensively. And I just think he has this like underrated skill at being like kind of good at everything. Like yeah, he, I, yeah. I don't think he's. I mean, I think potentially his on-ball defense is elite, but um, you know, he's a little smaller. But he just there, there's no real like he made a knife enough of a jump this season that I don't think there's sort of like a glaring weakness in his game. He's kind of good at everything. But um, all right, we'll just go into his defense here on the basketball. 
just an absolute pest. You know, one of the best in, in college hoops the last couple of years. And he absolutely wrecked uh, a bunch of really good guards while he was at Duke. He took, he just obliterated Kobe white on a couple possessions two seasons ago, eviscerated Shamori Pons when they played St. John's last season. I mean, literally St. John's took the ball out of Pons's hands during that game. And that's not the only time Trey Jones did that by, you know, picking up full court and just, just completely taking a team out of its offense. It happened against Clemson last season, happened against Syracuse last season too. And he pushed Cole Anthony into some bad decisions this year as Mm -hmm. well, but just gets in a stance at exceptional side to side speed and balance, fluid movements, quick, smooth hips. He actually kind of reminds me of, um, you guys watched, you guys, Richie, you watch tennis, don't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, do you know, like, he reminds me, his lateral moves remind me of Novak Djokovic yeah. a little bit, actually. He's just like, he's like a cat or a slinky. He's just so quick yes. and, and spry side to side. He can just chop real quickly, get in a stance and just, man, back arch. He's like Chris Paul defensively. Like, those guys get in a stance. It's The fundamentals are so sound with Trey Jones. He's not blessed with, like, incredible wingspan or length. I mean, he has quick hands. I think I'm guessing his wingspan comes out as plus, but it's probably nothing uh, too crazy. But, um, you know, if you, if you go to a basketball camp if, or, or Spencer, you were a, you were a high school coach when you were coaching your players to defend and guard one-on-one, where did you tell them to put their eyes defensively when they're guarding someone one-on-one waste right, right into their chest. Yep. I'm telling you, I saw this guy. I saw Trey up close a lot in college. I've never seen another player that had more like eye focus on his opponents, his abdomen area, waist, chest, just locked in. Um, but having like good peripheral vision too, seeing screens, um, having good vision behind him as, as a defender. He's a good, he's a good pick and roll defender. And you can see he anticipates screens. He's able to get around them and navigate them while also staying active and, and bothering the ball handler. Like, I think he's going to be really good uh, defensively uh, in, in the NBA. Excellent, in my opinion, as a, as, a, as a ball screen defender, recovers quickly. Like I said, uses a lot of that same fundamentals are sound and uses that lateral quickness and those quick hands to, to bother and, and be a pest even against uh, screens. Team defense, solid again, spot, up, spot on with his assignments. Gambles a little bit, but not too much. Excellent tracking the basketball in the air. Um, definitely will take the occasional calculated risk, but he's able to still recover because, again, he's so quick. And he just has this ability to keep guys in front of him with his, his ability to slide and to move and to cut off space and angles. And with those quick hands, I mean, he, his steals numbers were, were monstrous that Duke, a career steal rate of 3% for his career, 2.1 steals per 40 minutes too. And, um, and I'll let you guys jump in here too, but like, I think there may, you could maybe, if you want to, you can maybe question some of his versatility defensively because he is smaller, Yeah. but I do think mm-hmm. because he's so physical and because he's so darn good at moving his feet, he plays with this low center of gravity, which allows him to dig in. And he did all right when he like, especially his freshman year, when he had to switch and guard and guard post-ups because Duke switched so much during that 18, 19 season. Um, you factor in all of those things, and I think he can guard, you know, two, three positions, assuming, you know, these guys are lower usage. He's going to struggle against bigger, high-usage wings, no doubt. But yeah. I think he can give you two or three positions defensively, and I think he can give you elite point guard defense as well at the point of attack, too. Yeah, I mean, look, Trey Jones is um, – you can't not like him. I mean, he's the ultimate competitor. And that's um, that's what's going to get him likely drafted in the first round. You, you would think yeah. he's older than he is. Uh, he's he'll be probably around a little more than twenty and a half years old when he's drafted. Um, I mean, his intangibles. Brian mentioned all this. They're they're incredible. I will say that he should not have been the ACC Player of the Year. I, I will say that. I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. That, that should should have been his uh, Vernon Carey. Uh, Vernon Carey, his teammate. Yeah. But that's okay. I, I mean. It, he, he, his mentality and the work he probably put in throughout the season made him deserving of that award. Uh, but, but the numbers, 
don't don't tell the same story, but that's okay. I, look, I, I don't see a very high ceiling for Trey Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. He he's does have quick hands. No. Yeah, yeah, no, he's not twitchy, but but he's always in the right place. He he takes he takes smart gambles. The mm-hmm. guy has a high steal rate, not because he shoots every single passing lane, because it's because he's got quick hands and he knows when to gamble. Because it, Brian, it's a great point you made. You know, staring at the center of somebody's body, either their chest or Richie, you said waist. Waist is fine too. Stare at the center of somebody. Stare at their spine. Their spine is going to tell you where the ball is going, and that's what he got so good at. Um, he's just got incredible IQ and instincts for the game. I think his one one swing scale is shooting. Yeah, if he can learn to shoot the ball, let's see, he shot. He made a jump this year shooting the basketball. Yeah, I mean, too. yeah, thirty six percent from behind from behind the arc this year. You know, that's um, is that right, Brian? Yeah, thirty six. Yeah, thirty six percent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's higher than I thought it was. Um, so yeah. so that that's good for him. I mean, if let's just put it this way, if Trey Jones could shoot forty percent, you know, on catch and shoots, not coming mm-hmm. off off the dribble, forty percent on catch and shoots in the NBA, I think he'd be starting point guard potentially, who yep. could play off the ball with with another swing skill or, or combo guard. Yeah. Otherwise, he's going to be a backup point guard and a very good backup yeah. point mm-hmm. guard. But I just think that's the ceiling. So if you're going to take like his in, brother. Yeah, yeah, brother. yeah, very much yeah. like his brother. So, you know, if you're going to take him in the first round, then it's just it, – it's pretty simple, right? It's the team it, towards the end of the first round that needs a backup point guard. Uh, Portland comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't necessarily be to the back of the first round, but, you know, that's yeah. just a team that came to my mind. Other than that, to be honest with you, I think he's a second-round talent. But because of all of his intangibles – that other guys don't bring to the table and his understanding of the game and his competitive spirit um, and his high IQ, he should be drafted in the first round for all those reasons. Yeah, I mean, of these three players, he's probably the most unexciting, but he's also probably the one that I feel most comfortable drafting just because he has that mm-hmm. high floor. Uh, you know what you're going to get with Trey Jones. And, and Brian was right. There's nothing that really like stands out as a strength, but there's nothing really that stands out as a weakness as well. He's just kind of a middle-of-the-road guy. You know that when you draft this guy that you could probably project him to be a good backup point guard. And and sure, he could rise, and sure, he could fall off. He's a high IQ guy that, um, you know, he still needs to improve that shot, like you said, Spencer, and improve that finishing at the rim. But, you know, just being a floor general, good passer on the move, good floor leader. He can pass out of the pick and roll. He has a really good lob pass. I mean, obviously working with Zion helps that a lot, but he can he can pass the ball. Yeah, so lead ahead pass as well. And like Brian was mentioned, he's very a very pesky defender, gets his hands in the passing lanes. I may be a little bit lower on like his switchability. I, I think that he's very good at guarding his position, but maybe that's kind of all I view him as right now mostly because of his size and him just not being that type of athlete. But again, like I said, he, like you guys mentioned a lot of this, but uh, I just feel most comfortable drafting him out of the three players that we mentioned. But he also doesn't excite me either. Just quick, like putting a quick eye on the end of the first round here. You know, could really use him as New York at 27 with that pick they got from L.A. Like that, Reunite him and R.J.? Yeah, that'd be, I, well, I that'd mean, be New York needs that kind – they need that kind of player. They need that kind yeah. of guy who gets it in the locker room, and, and they need help with point guard. <laughs> yeah, a couple other things I'll, I'll throw out about Trey. Uh, I think his transition offense, I think he's – I think he actually stands out as, as a transition player, an elite – transition passer similar to we talked about this with Tyrese Halliburton uh you know a month ago or so but just elite vision elite timing elite touch on these passes the ability to throw guys open into space either off these just crazy you know whip bounce passes or these you know line drive sort of but like lofted passes over the top um I think again to dip into another sport if you think about soccer for a second he reminds me of like a defensive midfielder that has the ability to to create event to 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 get a steal or to dispossess the ball from his opponent and then to immediately turn it into efficient offense by boom I got the ball all right I'm forcing tempo up the court Hal Burton sort of does that too so there's some some Yaya Torre or some you know a Pirlo or a Steven Gerrard if you if you will I I did talk to a, a soccer buddy of mine to get some of these to shore up some of these names but he's got that's what I think of him as like a defensive midfielder yeah. that can immediately ignite transition offense and so I just think it's like as soon as he gets a steal, your the value of that possession, like the expected value of you could if you could do the math for that, I think it's high because he's going to make low mistake player, low turnover player, 
but yet he's able to force tempo and force transition smart ball handler uh, in transition as well to understands angle, the timing of teammates when they're running, just beautiful touch, which as you said on those lob passes, the last couple of years, he threw some of the craziest lobs we saw in, in, in college hoops to, to Stanley and to, and to Zion. Um, and he has this ability to in transition where it's almost like he's snaking a ball screen in pick and roll, but he's doing it without a screen in transition where he'll drive like against the grain, like diagonally. Uh-huh. And he'll bring a defender with him or he'll cut into the back of another defender and then he'll slip it back behind the play for a, for a layup or a dunk. It's just a smart player. And then I'll, I'll throw this out here as well, too. Just good shooting, good shooting runners and floaters was one of the ACC's best shooting around the elbows this season. So that's a lot of him coming off those ball screens. Duke ran a lot of horns with VCJ and, and, and Matthew Hurt. But um, his freshman season, Trey Jones, 26% shooting on threes, 49% true shooting, 3.3 three-point attempts per 40 minutes, and only seven Seven percent, only seven percent of his threes were unassisted. So let's go to his sophomore season 36 percent shooting on threes, up 10 percent. True shooting 52 percent, up three percent, taking 4.2 three point attempts per 40 minutes. So almost one more attempt per 40 minutes there, too. And 41 percent of his threes were unassisted. He's got a bit of a line drive shot, but he looked for a pull up three in, in transition, a fair like semi transition secondary break stuff a lot this season. Last year as a freshman, Trey Jones, 43% uh, effective shooting on spot-up, no-dribble jumpers this season, up to 66% effective shooting on spot-up jumpers for Trey Jones this season as well. One last indicator, 77% shooting from the free-throw line in his career, over 200 free-throw attempts too. And, yeah, his pick-and-roll usage went way up this season as well too. Um, efficiency, modest improvement, but – the usage way, way, way higher yeah. in terms of the volume of pick and roll possessions that he used. Well, speaking of line drive shots and your free throw percentage, he's really good at missing free throws on purpose, especially against UNC. He put so, his use yeah, to, so. to historically important <laughs> use, actually. He did. All right, let's uh, yeah, let's wrap this episode. If you guys have not watched the first four episodes of The Last Dance on ESPN about the 1997-98 Bulls team, this would be the time to kind of tune out. Uh, there's some spoilers, I guess, if you want to call it. I mean, obviously, the season has already occurred, but the we're going to be talking about the documentary and, and how we're enjoying this because as of now, as sports fans, there's no live sports. We get excited about the NFL draft, and we're going to get excited about The Last Dance. So let's just give our kind of quick thoughts on uh, this documentary so far it's a 10-part series and they they air two episodes per week i'll actually say this i I don't actually stay up and watch them uh live i watch them the next morning or afternoon and my viewing experience is sometimes tricky because uh beckett is always by my side and i have to entertain him but i try to watch it as best as i can i think I forget, like I forgot all the drama that was heading into the season uh, with Jerry Krause and they do a good job of kind of setting that up in episode one and you know obviously Scottie Pippen, uh, his issues too in terms of delaying his surgery and how Michael Jordan wasn't too happy about that. It's crazy to think that this team won the championship heading into the season, knowing that it's going to be Phil Jackson's last season, knowing that MJ is probably going to be leaving too because he's tied to Phil Jackson, knowing that Scottie Pippen is not happy. It's kind of crazy that they overcame those things. Clearly, they had talent, uh, and that, and they focus on each of the players. They've done a good job of focusing on MJ and Scotty and, and Dennis Rodman. Uh, in one of the more recent episodes, he he was funny to listen to, and his little uh, hiatus down in Vi- Vegas was just crazy. I, I don't think that would happen in today's game, uh, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I know I don't know if it's lived up to the hype, but clearly people are tuning in. Uh, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. What are your thoughts so far on the Last Dance, Spencer? Yeah, I've enjoyed it too. Uh, probably more so than I would if there are <laughs> a lot of other things going on. But uh, but no, I, I think it was good. You, you know, the Jerry Krause stuff earlier was certainly baffling like how could you even consider breaking up a team that had been that successful you know up to that point um certainly a lot of ego involved with him but um but yeah i mean you know episodes three and four i think definitely started to open up more of jordan and what he had to demand of certain players i'm actually more fascinated with the scotty pippen narrative i think than than like the Dennis Rodman. I mean, obviously Dennis Rodman is unlike very few people on planet earth. So he is, you know, his narrative is interesting. 
Um, he comes from an, an awful background and how he made it. And with the attitude he'd made it with, it's like kind of wild to even figure out how that happened. But Scottie Pippen and the type of personality, personality he is combined with his talent, you know, combined with what he had to deal with with Jordan and then what he had to deal with in terms of how much Chicago appreciated him, which is not nearly enough as they should have. Uh, having to deal with them not renegotiating his contract when they clearly should have done that. Like to stick through all that, I actually think he, he went above and beyond anybody not named Michael Jordan on that team uh, because he had every reason to say this just isn't fair. Mm-hmm. And, and he, and he did do that. He did do that. Right. Like he, he was away from the team. Um, he didn't get surgery in the summer when he should have. Or, or depending on what you believe, when he could have, uh, and he got it on the team's time and rehabbed on the team's dime and their time. So, uh, to me, the Pippen narrative in all this is is one hundred percent the most interesting. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't think of it that way. Obviously, I kind of am more interested in the MJ aspect, but yeah, the Scotty Pippen aspect is interesting as well. It's also interesting to know notice like some of the ex-teammates like he played against like Dennis Rodman against Detroit he played against Ron Harper in 1989 against Cleveland but my favorite clip of the show and I'm going to go ahead and play it Brian maybe you can break this down can you understand what Dennis Rodman is talking about here when he's talking about the rebound I just practice a lot about the angle of the ball and trajectory of it you got a Larry Bird it's going to spin you got a, a magic and maybe spin when Michael shoot over here I position myself right there now I hit the rim it's boom uh Click and go back this way. Boom, here, here. Click and go that way. Boom, that way. Click here and go like this way. So basically, I just start learning how to put myself in a position to get the ball. That that was Dennis Rodman explaining how he went into gyms and had people miss shots on purpose and how he practiced rebounding. I mean, that, that guy is just, the way that he explained it, too, was just, I was just sitting there watching the TV. I was like, what are you talking about? I, I love the thought of him going into a gym with like Michael Carter Williams and just telling MCW to just try to try to make the shots and uh, I'm gonna practice my offensive rebound here. No, I think what he's doing in so many words there, if I can translate worm here for a second, is uh, <laughs> he's explaining you know Larry Bird putting a lot of backspin on his shot, Magic Johnson not doing quite as much of that, and then he's also just explaining like this is what weak side rebounding is on offense, right? You know what I mean? Like when MJ shoots, I need to be on the opposite side of the court to try to look for a a long rebound. I'm guessing that's what he's doing. But obviously Dennis has his own – sort of his own terminology inside of the English language that uh, that makes it – that, that makes for a little bit more uh, character with his response. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be honest with you. I thought the first two episodes were good. I definitely enjoyed it, but I thought they were like, okay – I thought episodes three and four were pretty awesome, and I really enjoyed them. I agree with Spencer. I, I thought the Pippin stuff was fascinating. The Robin stuff is interesting. The Phil Jackson stuff. I mean, I'm excited to hear more about Kukoc and some of these other guys that were coming along the way. It's just interesting to hear the you. We all know the MJ story, but you just know less about these other guys. And it's so it's fascinating to hear about the role players that were you know sort of a, a, around for the ride or were obviously played huge roles on it too i think it's a little fascinating and people have talked about this before already but um like it is crazy that the bulls a they had these two just transformative athletes to have like jordan and pippen in the 80s and early 90s it's like i mean what an advantage you know i mean just two athletes that i think were outlier at the time you know and to have two of those guys on the same team is, is nuts. And to see how they built a roster around that with, um, you know, especially after Bill Cartwright, no high usage centers and, and playing the game dominant for two wings and being able to go small with Kukoc and Rodman and, and so in and, and Ron Harper as like your as like another wing and guard. Um, that stuff's fascinating. And uh, I even thought the stuff from this past week's episode on the triangle offense, like that was cool. And there was one shot they put in the documentary. It was like an above, above overhead shot looking down on the Bulls, like working in their half-court offense. And it was showing both sides of the court going through various reads of the triangle. So, you know, handoff, a cut, a, a pass, so swinging the ball to the other side of the court. And the graphic that the documentary used had this like triangle sort of like moving in real time with them. I, I thought it was just like a beautiful shot and hell i'm no like huge fan of the triangle offense but if i could have like an image of that 
framed, I would hang it in my office. I thought it looked awesome, you know? Um, so anyways, I've, it's been really cool. It's, it's been interesting. You know, it's been sort of zeitgeisty. There's this like live sports aspect of it where everyone's watching it. That's interesting. So I, I look forward to Sunday nights now. Um, that's the, you know, now that better call Saul is over with Mondays are irrelevant and Sunday is the only day of the week for me now. So, um, I, I do look forward to the last dance Sunday night and, you know, we've got six more hours of it left. So that's pretty exciting too. Yeah. The last thought I wanted to sneak in here, um, you know, Phil Jackson, I've really, I've really, really, really enjoyed learning more about him and how yeah. he got started with Chicago. And I didn't know that guy coached in Puerto Rico. I didn't either. I knew the, I knew the, I knew the CBA stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know Puerto Rico though. Yeah. I, I, I you know, and he's, I knew he was a fascinating guy who, who has, uh, you know, some life philosophy styles that he believes in that definitely bleed over into his, uh, how he managed the bulls and then how, how he would manage the Lakers later. Um, his emotional intelligence uh, shows up in the documentary so so quickly, and what I think is really cool is the link between him and Steve Kerr because you can tell yeah. how many things Steve Kerr learned from Phil Jackson. I mean, it's yes. I, I would say that if there were like the top ten traits, coaching traits Steve Kerr has, nine of them come from Phil Jackson, maybe ten of them. Um, and I don't agree with everything Steve, Steve Kerr says, you know, but but yeah. he is an incredibly smart coach that knows how to connect with the most egotistical uh, <laughs> talented guys in the National Basketball Association. And Phil could do the exact same thing. He, he benefits from I mean, it's crazy. He got to play for. Phil Jackson and then Greg Popovich. I mean, that's in, pretty incredible. But I, I sort of enjoy it for Phil, too, because I think the end of his tenure where he was working in operations for New York, you know, it sort of ended unceremoniously. He wasn't really up for the job. He wasn't particularly good at it. I, I think at times he sort of came across as, like, old and doddering. And so it's cool for to have this – to look back – um, and, and to see young Phil and, and middle-aged Phil as like, you know, basketball savant, this genius coach that uh, was willing to get input from others, including his star players and his assist, assistant coaches and stuff too. So um, I, it's not like a redemption. It's not like a redemption arc or anything like that, but it, it's just a reminder. It's like, what? yeah, the job between being a coach and an executive is different. And uh, once upon a time, this guy was very well thought of as a basketball mind. Um, yeah, yeah, different eras too, you know, throw the New York stuff out. I mean, to me, but you know, for him to take, I think the ultimate, um, measuring point for me in Chicago, I mean, he had a lot after Chicago, but to take the gamble and he had to be taught, even Phil had to be talked into it as open-minded as he is. He had to be talked into and convinced. Now we're going to take, we need Dennis Rodman. We need what he brings yeah. to the table to get over Detroit. <laughs> And he was like, okay, all right, bring in Dennis Rodman. And he found a way to meet that guy where he was. And that, look, Dennis brought so much good to that team, but he's as challenging of a player I can imagine to coach as they've ever been made, right? (laughs) Like, so I I don't know. I think that's the coolest part about Phil Jackson's coaching job is just saying, okay, let's go, bring him in. This is what we need, and it works. One one of the last things I'll throw in is uh, specific to MJ. he is, he is like a fascinating personality on this because it's interesting to see both Michael in the 90s and Michael now in, in 2019 or 2020, you know, whenever they filmed these parts with him. Um, you know, what, what bothers him versus what doesn't bother him. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he, he's mad at Scottie Pippen for having a migraine or like confused with Pippen having a migraine. But if Dennis wants to go to Vegas, like, all right, like let's roll the dice and see what happens. You know, like even that sort of interesting, he's got, because he was such an incredible player and such a, just a, you know, a outlier competitor, outlier athlete, outlier champion, just a historically dominant force. I even get, it reminded me of, you know, during Hornets games when he sits at the end of the bench, you know what I'm talking about? A couple times a year this happens and you're just like, he sits there and his energy just hangs over everything. It's just locked in. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and so it's on purpose for the players yeah. and the other half is he just yep. can't help. 
Yep, 100%. And so that it's been seeing this documentary has been reminding me of those moments that I've seen, you know, sporadically the last couple of seasons of uh, Hornets basketball, too. It's a good point, Brian. I, he definitely seems skeptical of like Scottie Pippen's migraine. Like, I don't know why, what it was, but he's like, yeah, like, yeah, I guess that was the migraine game for Scottie Pippen. But like, he, he didn't seem he like he was fully convinced about that. He'll only concede to to a certain, certain, very thin extent with Scotty. He'll tell you he's that's the, my best teammate ever. But Scotty was the closest that ever sniffed to Jordan in Jordan's prime. And so Jordan's only going to give him so much slack. He would never let Scotty go to Vegas for 48 hours. He'll let him. <laughs> <Never Dennis would. laughs> so. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. If you want to support this podcast, please go ahead and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And we will see you guys next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.